The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. We know how overwhelming your life is as a caregiver, many of you for multiple generations and different kinds of people with different kinds of needs. So we really appreciate it uh, when you give us your time. I'm here today with my lovely co-host, Deanna Albrecht. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. That's great. And you're going to introduce our guest yes, today. I am. And you know what? I'm really excited to introduce her because as a mom of a child with autism, I, I'm really excited to have her here. So Susan Senator is a blogger, journalist, educator, and author. She writes on disability parenting, and she has appeared as a guest on the Today Show, PBS, NPR, ABC, and more. Susan's books include Making Peace with Autism, The Autism Mom's Survival Guide, and her latest book, Autism Adulthood, Strategies and Insights for a Fulfilling Life. And Susan says that while adult life on the spectrum is complicated, it can be manageable and even fulfilling. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Nice to be here. Great. Um, You know as, as a mom of a child with autism, I know that having a child diagnosed with autism can be both a relief and overwhelming. And so can you share a little bit about when Nat was diagnosed, your son? Sure. Um, Nat, who's now 27, was diagnosed at age three, um, so early 1992. Um, and we, of course, times were different because we we didn't know anyone with autism at the time. Um, the frequency was was so different. Like two in ten thousand is is what I've seen. Um, so no one was looking for autism, and and you know we missed out on early intervention because we didn't actually know to get a diagnosis until he was really three years old. Mm-hmm. Did you see any symptoms that made you wonder? Um, yeah. From the start, I, I felt things were, I don't know, not what I expected in a newborn, but because he was my first, I couldn't put my finger on it, and my husband didn't see it, and the rest of the family didn't see it. I, I can't explain it. Even now, there was a feeling, but as he developed, even though he hit certain milestones, there were things that he wasn't doing, like um, playing with toys kind of in the 
right way, if you will. He would line mm-hmm. them up and suck his thumb and look at them or put them in his mouth. But when other babies were playing with cars and with Sesame Street stuff, he was just not doing that. You know, Susan, as a therapist, I hear this a lot. Moms will say, I just knew there was something different about this child, or I just knew that something wasn't right. Um, And the pediatrician or my friend would say, don't worry about it. Einstein didn't talk till he was four. Um, And they get all of this. And so you're right. Moms need to learn how to trust their gut because you know your child better than anyone else. Um, And when you think there's an issue, you you need to fight for that diagnosis um, and, you, you know, try to get an intervention that works for you. That is so true. That was the hardest and earliest lesson that I learned as an autism mom, um, that really to trust my instinct. And in fact, pretty much the rest of his life so far, it's my instincts and guesses that have paid off the best for him. I mean, aside from finding a great education program and, and that sort of thing, just finding strategies and ways to connect with him, that's, that's been very instinctive and, um, you know, and, and, and just kind of getting to know him um, method, you know, trial and error, too. Yeah, you know what, and I can completely relate to that, what you said, and, and that's just one of those things that only an autism mom can understand. Yeah, and it's amazing yeah. that it's still that way, even though, I mean, I'm assuming your, chil- your child is a lot younger. Yes, he is. Yeah, things haven't, some things haven't changed, unfortunately. So how is it different for you? You said that in your book, um, the world with no internet and no puzzle piece as the autism um, support, can you tell us how it was different pre-internet for you? Um, first of all, pretty lonely, um, you know, because I didn't know anything about autism other than the movie Rain Man and the two books in our public library, one of which was the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Very grim, very technical. Um, I also had my own, my own things I learned, you know, even in high school psychology class, which was the Refrigerator Mother syndrome. Um, so I had to ask the doctor like immediately, did I cause this? Seriously, I, I worried about that. And he said right away, no, this is neurological. And then he said, the best thing to do is look for the right educational approach. And you will know that when you see it. <laughs> so that was the guidance I had. I had really no friends to turn to because their kids were seemed to be developing normally. It wasn't mm-hmm. until I found a support group offered by a local ARC um, that I finally met parents who were going through what I was going through. And, and that was just that was just kind of mind-blowing and, and a huge relief. Hmm. I bet that was. Not everybody has that support. Even today, there's so many support groups out there, but sometimes it's hard to know which one to choose. Right. There's there's a lot of different points of view and there's there is some infighting, even though as a whole the community is so supportive and and really loving. 
um, it's it's difficult sometimes. You know, you might stumble into an approach that is kind of not at all where where your child belongs, and you know, you, you have to kind of muddle through that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, you talked about having a vision for your son as he grew. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah, it's it sort of, the vision was, you know, it was something that I, that I altered over time. And when I, actually, I should say we, because my husband, Ned, is a huge part of what, what happened, what we did. Um, but, uh, mostly, I, I always felt that I wanted him to be as independent as possible, because I just didn't want to have to depend too much on funding that may or may not be there, or, um, other people to take care of him. I, I really wanted him to also to have as normal a life as possible. So mm-hmm. pretty early on, my husband and I had to make choices as to what we would focus on in terms of his education. You know, like looking into pragmatics and self-care, um, safety skills, those kinds of things kind of formed his education as he, as he grew into a teenager, and even work skills, things like that, vocational, um, rather than academic, because we, we just we had to make choices because of his, his needs and his, and his deficits, um, for want of a better word. And my, my vision kind of grew and changed as he grew until I began thinking that, yeah, it might be possible that as an adult he can be semi-independent, we will need to find a good caregiver, a good support person, um, but I could suddenly start imagining him living in an apartment in, in the city in, in Boston, and we're right next to Boston in our mm-hmm. town, and I could see it working out where he'd walk places and take public transportation, and, you know, I, I, I started to have more and more of a sense that that, that could happen. And then I had to start figuring out, well, how exactly? How do I make that happen? Oh, you know, I think that that's probably really an encouragement for moms because um, sometimes they're not able to see past today. And so being able to see a vision for your child living independently down the road and then you putting a plan in action for that can really encourage another mom. So thank you for that. Oh, sure. (laughs) I mean, we, we... could see that um, little by little, you know, it didn't happen at once, all at once, but, you know, we would suddenly realize, hey, he's, he's got some street awareness. He has some safety skills, and let's work on, on you know, paying attention to lights more. Um, and my husband takes him out still every weekend, and they go places, and, and he's, my son has become very skilled in, in the Boston transportation system, the T. Um, and so... As you start to see the skills, even with someone as challenged as Nat, um, you, you can start to have a picture of what he can do and what his life might look like. And it's maybe a little less scary because people tend to be afraid of autism adulthood, but it's just because there's not a lot of models out there um, yet. But it's not that different from any other child's adulthood in, in so many ways. So it's not something that we should fear. I think fear is there, but if you can channel it, if you can 
turn it into energy and and research, you know, activity. That's kind of where I went with it. I, I didn't want to sit with fear. Um, I kind of decided I'm going to learn about the funding. I'm going to learn about the possibilities, the different agencies, service providers, um, go to some workshops, take in what I can, um, that kind of thing. And, and so instead of focusing on, yikes, I don't know what will happen the day after he graduates, I just started finding out what other people do past 22, which is the age in Massachusetts. It's different. It could be 21 in other states. But, you know, I started to actually just talk to people who were already there or going through it to find out what does that look like. And, and that's the best thing to do to kind of keep fear at bay. That's really good. Thank you. Susan, we're uh, headed towards a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I want to ask you about all those resources that, that you mentioned. And, of course, we all use the Internet. Um, which of those resources did you really find was absolutely the most helpful to you? Um, and then we'll talk to you a little more about employment as an adult. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Susan Senator, the author of Autism Adulthood. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. We've been talking with Susan Senator, and she's been sharing some of her journey with her son, Nat, and her book, Autism Adulthood. Welcome back, Susan. Thanks. So, Susan, we were going to talk to you and ask you about um, meaningful jobs that you created for your son, Nat. I know that you had okay. said that in your book, that sometimes we have to create meaningful work. That's right. Um, 
I I found early on, I, I felt with Matt that, um, and this might be a little controversial, but um, a paycheck wasn't necessarily the thing that he required. He really needed to be occupied with something he understood and cared about. And for him, that meant clear rules and a clear goal. So we, you know, very early on started imagining what he'd be good at, which I tried to see where, where he could be. I knew he loved libraries. I, I knew he could alphabetize. So I had this fantasy that maybe he'd work in the local library. Um, although that didn't happen, um, as a teen, his school found him a job working at a pizza place making the boxes. Um, and he loved that job and was so prolific that he'd be surrounded by walls of boxes by the end of his shift. But they eventually promoted him to being a coupon deliverer. Um, and that was another great job for him because it's, it sort of satisfied his needs for, for moving around. He's a, he's a big walker. Um, so he could walk around neighborhoods with the help of a job coach and put these coupons on doorknobs. Um, so all along, we've been thinking about what is Nat like? What is he good at? Um, and what's out there? And so now, as an adult, his um, service provider has found him jobs doing things like Meals on Wheels and mm-hmm. recycling. And again, these are very clear um, clear tasks and 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 very satisfying, you know. When it's finished, he knows it's finished. Beginning, middle, and end are so important to him. So to me, that's what it's about. That's what success is for for him. Is is just a job he looks forward to and feels confident in. I like that. That's good. Um, did Did you say that your son is mostly nonverbal in your book? Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's he's verbal, but it's not as functional as it can be, and not often accurate, unfortunately. Susan, what's your feeling about? Do you have other children? Yes, I have two other younger sons, Max and and Ben. So, what has been um, uh, the uh, not so much the relationship um, um, between Nat and his brothers, but the the issue that I often saw was that the siblings were either fine with the fact that they had a brother or sister with special needs, um, or they were embarrassed by it um, and were uncomfortable with it, um, and it became an issue for the family. But what do you, what do you see in your family? Um, I saw a mixture of those feelings. Um, you know, uh, my, my middle son, Max, seemed to be pretty much okay with, with autism from day one because they're only two years apart, and so he just grew up with that. And um, we did a lot of talking to him about what was going on and, and if, if Nat was aggressive. You know, we, we talked about feelings and, you know, Nat shouldn't do that and that kind of thing. Um, so, but sometimes, you know, naturally when those difficult times happen, Max would resent Nat. And certainly Ben, who was eight years younger than Nat, had a, a much more difficult time understanding um, 
why Nat did what he did because he his because Ben's other big brother Max didn't do those things. So there was a lot of of development that had to happen um, with them be, before they they really had the kind of empathy that I was hoping they'd have. I didn't want to push it. They deserve their own lives and their own opinions and feelings. All along, I know they loved him, but understanding him and accepting him came a little bit later. And and that's where we are now. They, they have very good feelings towards Nat and protective feelings. And, and that just, just really makes me feel great. Oh, that's good. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Um, Susan, as you explored housing options for Nat, what type of options did you look into? Um, well, it, I think at first we kind of, we looked into things that we might have to fund ourselves because we didn't know what kind of funding he could get. So we thought about sharing um, a house with a few other guys that, that might have similar challenges to Nat, you know, f- friends, children, um, and see if we could all chip in on the rent and, and use their, their social security for some of that. Um, and we always wanted him to be in the city because that's, that's where he grew up. So we looked for that. And eventually, we thought a group home might be good because he'd always have some peers with him. And so he did uh, become eligible for one, and that was a very nice situation for a while until we started thinking maybe he could do something a little more independent and have an apartment with a caregiver. Um, And so he lived that way. That's called shared living, and he had that for two years, which really was a good thing. It really uh, grew Mm -hmm. him a lot, but in the end... I feel that he needs more support because he has a hard time articulating all of his needs. Um, and so we, we do have him in a group home now. And, we, you know, we also feel good about that because the guys in, in that home are very social. So they kind of pull him along with them to things that they do, um, you know, outings and stuff. So I feel like the um, the shared living apartment, the group home, these are good options be- as long as they can help the guy be social. That's really where it's at. You know, Susan, I I I really praise you for talking about this. I have a very close friend um, whose oldest son was in a very bad bike car accident when he was very young, um, and um, had a lot of special needs. He was in a wheelchair and a phasic, and um, they um, did end up um, putting him in a in a group home, which he loved, and he did very very well in, um, and. He would often come home to their home on the weekends, but someone actually had the nerve to really say to her one time when I was with her, you know, I think that's terrible of you. Why would you um, put your son in a group home? And, and she looked at them and said, what would happen in a crisis 
what would happen if something happened to my husband and I? We're not getting any younger. Um, what would happen during a crisis? It would be a disaster for our family. Um, and this way, he's already moved. He's more independent. He loves where he's living. He's fine. And we don't have to have that hanging over our heads that if, God forbid, we run into a crisis in our family, and it's going to happen as we're getting older, um, that, you know, he has a place to live in. We know he's well taken care of and he's fine. So I really praise you for taking that step ahead of time and not, and not waiting for the crisis to happen. Oh, thanks. I mean, the thing is, you know, we all want our children with us, you know, for as long as it's appropriate and possible. And it's pretty easy for outsiders to, to have their own opinion and maybe judge. But the thing is, you know, it, that it's absolutely true that the more independent and prepared for the future our guys can be, the better. Um, you know, it, and it's common sense. Uh, you expect all of your children to fly off eventually, so why not this child? <laughs> At least you hope that they fly off eventually. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Some of them need a little more push than others, but yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, you you do say, though, that you did have caregivers, and I think, do, do you still have caregivers? Um, he, well, he has um, caregivers in, in the group home. In the group um, home. Yeah, it's staffed with two, it's like two to five, and they they have shifts, and but it's it's really often the same, the same people, so they build relationships with the guys. Okay, because I, I did see that you said the most challenging thing of all in adult autism is finding caregivers. That is true. Um, okay. The group homes have the caregivers. Um, often, though, if your child's not in a ready-made group home, or even if you, if you need to have respite on the weekend, you do need to find a caregiver, just like when the child's growing up and you need to find a, a sitter that you can trust and, and really love. Um, that's what I look for. I, I really want someone who has the energy and the over-caffeinated personality um, <laughs> and, and ideas and really someone who, who deals directly with Nat as opposed to kind of hanging back. You know, he always knows, even if he can't say it, he knows when someone doesn't care about him. So I also follow his lead. I watch his reaction to people when, when I'm trying to, to gauge if they'd be a good caregiver or not. A lot of this is kind of, again, like we said at the very beginning, your instinct. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you, you, you look at, at references and, and background checks and things like that, but there also is just nothing that replaces that, that instinct that a, a parent has about what's, what's going to click for their child. Okay, so Susan, to the mom or dad who is raising a younger child with autism, what do you believe that they can do now to prepare? I think they can make a community, first of all, with, with, other, with kindred spirits, other families that have similar challenges, have similar children, and think like them, too. Um, like you go to Special Olympics and you start chatting up the parents at the sidelines and that's going to be your family eventually. That's how you learn what to do and, and that's how you find um, basically in-laws mm-hmm. your, you know, with your okay. children. Um, and, and I also, so you shore up a community, 
you you save money where you can. Of course, making sure you talk to a special needs attorney so that you do it correctly and, you know, you can't have money in your child's name. You have to learn some of that stuff. Um, you have to kind of make the effort to go out a few times a year and go to a conference, you know, but give yourself a break when you can't go to the conference, you know. Okay. It's a lot to digest. Susan, what's your one last piece of advice for us, for parents, um, anybody who's listening? What is your one last piece of advice? Um, and guess, where can they like, find you? I'm sorry, where can they find me. you as well? Um, SusanSenator.com um, and on Twitter at SusanSenator. I'm on Facebook um, and I have my books. They should be in libraries and bookstores and Amazon and all that. Um, and I guess I would like people to know that they should give these guys a chance. Um, mm-hmm. They may look odd, not what you expect, but these are people and you're going to love them. Susan Senator, so thank you so much for being with us today and sharing because I know that sharing is not always easy. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank it's you. really a pleasure. Thank you. When we return, uh, we'll be talking about the confessions of an ADD diva. We've been talking about autism in adulthood, and now we're going to talk about ADHD, hyperactivity, distractibility in adulthood. So if you're not too distracted, stay with us. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Deanna Albrecht. And we are here with Linda Rogley, who is the author of Confessions of an ADD Diva. Linda, did I get it correct this time? <laughs> well, it was close. It's ADD Diva. <laughs> okay. 
so much for me today in my pronunciation. However, I do know that Linda is a professional certified coach and founder of the AD Diva. I got it wrong again. Network for women, like in Diva, Diva for women who have. ADHD. She's a nationally recognized expert in midlife and senior ADHD. She's an award-winning author, and she's with us today discussing her book, Confessions of an AD Diva. 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 Okay. You know, that's what happened, guys. However, you know what, Linda? I really want to thank you because I came in and and said to some of my staff, you know what? I think I have adult ADHD. I'm always late, and now you guys can't get angry at me anymore. So, Linda. Angry. I think it's darling. I'm not not angry at all. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, Linda, tell us, what are some of the symptoms of ADHD in adults? I think we're pretty familiar with kids, but we really, I don't think, understand it when it comes to uh, adults, especially women. So, what what are some of the behaviors you would see? Well, I mean... Thank you for asking the question because there are differences between adults and children and also between men and women, adult men and women. So some of the things, that, remember that ADHD is a historical event. It's not something that, that, it's not age related. So if you have ADHD, you had it when you were five years old and you have it when you're 55 years old. It doesn't go away. It may change and your, your strategies to cope with it may change. But the symptoms when you get older tend to diminish. So imagine we think of little boys as being kind of hyperactive not being able to sit in their seats, driven by a motor is what they call it in the DSM-5. But for adults, we tend to be able to sit in our seats, but our minds may be going 1,000 miles an hour. And we may, if some people, some women talk really fast. Some, some women who have more of the hyperactive piece in, as part of their diagnosis um, tend to be in motion a lot. They don't get up and jump around on their seats, but they may find it hard to sit through a boring lecture. Um, a lot of folks with, a lot of women with ADHD, however, are missed, even when they're little girls, because most women with ADHD are diagnosed with what they call inattentive ADHD. And that's kind of that dreamy, creamy kind of ADHD. The kiddo who's staring out the window and paying attention to the squirrel outside instead of what's on the blackboard, well, women do that too. Suddenly, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in my head and I've driven right past the exit that I'm supposed to turn on and I have to turn around and go back. That's inattentive. And the other piece of that is being distracted easily distracted. I'll be working on one thing, or some of my clients will be working on one thing, and all of a sudden something comes flying. Oh, it's, you know, it's a little sparkle over here, so suddenly we are thinking about something else. Easy to get pulled off of projects. The other thing is we have great ideas, but we have a million of them almost all the time, and we have trouble following through on them. So a lot of folks with ADHD will be late to appointments. They will be late on projects. They'll be the very last person turning in something to their boss. And, of course, if they are, especially if they're over deadline, they think it has to be twice as good. So then their perfectionism kicks in, and then they are even later with all this stuff. So we get bored really easy because the ADHD brain really needs stimulation all the time. And I guess you could say, well, everybody's got ADD, right? Everybody forgets their car keys and gets distracted. And the key is in what I said about this being a historical event. We have to look back all the way to childhood. And if those symptoms were there all the way through, then it could be an ADHD diagnosis for adults and in particular women. So, Linda, you were diagnosed, though, not until you were an adult. Is that, is that accurate? That's right. I was, diagnosed, I was diagnosed in my late 40s, and that had everything to do with 
now I know, had everything to do with my hormonal changes at age in, in my 40s. So before I ask you about that, about the yeah. uh, impact of estrogen on you, I'd, yeah. I'd like to get it, I'd like to understand, I mean, how did you feel when you had that diagnosis? I mean, was it devastating? Were you relieved? How, how did you feel when you got that well, diagnosis? Well, you know, um, when we were in marriage counseling, my husband and I were in marriage counseling, and I had gone to the marriage counselor by myself, and I was just, boop, 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 talk, 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 and he suddenly stopped me and said, has anyone ever thought, told you you might have ADHD? And I literally laughed in his face until I realized he wasn't laughing back. And then I realized he was serious, and he said, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Just go pick this book up. It's no big deal. I couldn't get to the bookstore fast enough to pick up a book called Driven to Distraction. It was written by Drs. Hallowell and Rady, and it was really the first lay a, a book about adult ADHD out there, and I couldn't buy it fast enough. I was literally reading at the stoplights on the way home because it was an evening in, no, in November. And so when I got home and I finished the book in two days, um, I cried, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is really it. And then some of the things that were um, in the book didn't sound like me. I hadn't been fired from jobs and I hadn't, you know, failed. I was pretty successful. I had the white picket fence and the kids and the nice husband and all that kind of stuff. So I decided, eh, what the heck, not, not important. When I hit menopause, I suddenly, all the ADHD symptoms got much worse and I ran back to the doctor and I said, I need ADHD medication. And he said, no, you don't. You need estrogen so go get some but i have to tell you that it my to answer to go back to your question because i interrupt myself that's one of the add traits um i i was actually relieved because it finally made sense a lot of the things that i had been in therapy for years for being other directed and depression and all these things that seemed like character flaws that i needed to fix they were all part of the spectrum of the ADHD circle, and it finally made sense. So I was actually relieved and dismissive and relieved. It took three diagnoses for me to actually believe it. <laughs> so, Linda, do you, I, do you think that it impacted um, your relationship, let's say, with your you, – do you have children? Um, I do. I'm about to ask you a question, and I, and I thought, oh, my gosh, not only did I get the diva 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 wrong, but I'm about to ask you how it impacted your relationship with your children, and then you're gonna, there's going to be a moment of silence, and you're going to say, I don't have any children. No, no, so, I, do. I do. So that was, thank you. Would you like me to say that? I don't have any children. I'm just teasing you. No, no, no. Um, okay, it's I okay. Have children. I have two boys. And, and ADD is not only something that um, we can look at, from our backgrounds way back when we were younger, but it also is very highly heritable. So both of my children, um, I believe, have ADHD. One of them was diagnosed bipolar, which is kind of one of those sidecar things because most people with ADHD actually have a second psychiatric diagnosis as well. Mine was depression, and that's what they diagnosed first. And my other son, my youngest son, is diagnosed with ADHD and is taking medication for it. And he has his own challenges because he's also also visually impaired. So he's on disability, can't drive, all those kind of things. So we have lots of things going on, lots of lots of drama and and you know, pathology going on in our family. And did it affect my relationship? Let me tell you that when you, are, when you have ADHD and you are parenting a child with ADHD, the important thing for ADHD kids or for adults is consistency. If you cannot be consistent yourself, it's very difficult to set that example for your child. Um, my kiddos did really pretty well in school, except they always were late with their homework. 
And it was difficult for me because I was reading all the parenting books, trying to figure out the best way to do the logical consequences. What should I do? Should I get really involved? Should I not get involved? That kind of stuff. Should I let them fail? So it was, it was a dilemma for years. And I, I honestly think that if I knew now what I knew, if I, if I knew then what I now know about my own ADHD, I believe my parenting would have been very different. In addition, I, I became a coach, so I also would have implemented some of those coaching techniques. What I know about parenting a child with ADHD is that it can be absolutely maddening because those kids are not doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, and rah, 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 and it's easy to be angry at them all the time. And what they really need more than anything else is encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Even if you can only find one thing that they're doing right, notice it and say, yay, you tied your shoes well today. That is fabulous. I'm so happy about that. It has to be positive because they are so used to beating themselves up. They're much harder on themselves than, they, than you would ever be. So much, much more difficult to find something going right, and they need it every single day. I needed it every single day, but no one knew in those days what ADHD was. So, Linda, when you were uh, when you received your diagnosis as an adult, were your parents still alive at that time? Yeah, yeah, my mom's still alive so, now, actually, and they so completely dismissed. What was the? Re- I'm sorry, oh, yeah, what? my mom, my mom's, my mom. When my mom read about it, and she read my book, and she said, "Oh my gosh, this is me too." And then she kind of said, "One more thing wrong with me," because, like me, she had been diagnosed with depression, which is also heritable. Um, my dad kind of poo-pooed it and said, "Oh, that's just an excuse." And that's what a lot of people get when they they end up with an ADHD diagnosis. That's just an excuse. You're just being lazy. You should just try harder. Those are fighting words for ADHD adults and for ADHD coaches like me because if we could do it better, believe me, we would be doing it better already. It's the most frustrating thing in the world to want to do something right and still fail at it. It is just horrifying. Wow. It, it, must be, it, it, it must be very, very difficult to handle all these multiple balls, actually, that you have up in the air. Where do you get your support from? Well, I actually have a fabulous husband. The, the therapy that we were in actually worked, and we now actually teach ADHD couples how to have a happy relationship. So I credit him because he's been my encourager, and he stands by me 100%, believes in me sometimes more than I do. But I also, because of what I do, I work with ADHD women. I have ADHD support groups here in the Triangle in North Carolina. Um, I also have some online support groups as well that I that I. I facilitate and I do retreats as well, but I also gain something from those because I think one of the biggest issues with ADHD folks is that whether they're diagnosed or whether they're not, and keep in mind that more than 80% of adults who have ADHD, ADHD are undiagnosed, undiagnosed, and that 20%, only 25% of them have even got any treatment or sought any treatment. So... Um, all of those things together are kind of, um, they, we, we feel isolated. We feel like we're the only one that's being this stupid, or, and we beat ourselves up constantly about that. And I hear women over and over and over again saying, I didn't know anybody else felt this way. Oh, my gosh, I feel like I found my tribe. When you can finally get in the room or in the, in the virtual room on the Internet with somebody else who gets you, it's an amazing experience and one that can transform lives. We've been talking to Linda Rogley. And Deanna, why don't you tell us the name of Linda's book? Confessions of an ADD Diva. Ah, that was so good. It's good that one of us doesn't mess this up. 
So, <laughs> Linda, thank you, but stay where you are. Don't go away and don't get distracted because we're going to be I right will. back. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more about that effect on menopause. And uh, I want to talk about some survival tips, uh, especially for women who have ADHD or ADD. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill caughtbetweengenerations.com Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Dr. Merle and I'm here with Deanna Albrecht and we are with we are with Linda Rogley. She is the author of Confessions of an ADD Diva. Ah, <laughs> we've been having a great time with Linda. So, Linda, I want to um, ask you about, um, you mentioned it before, but I really want to dive into it a little more, about the effect of menopause uh, on women with ADD or ADHD. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you mentioned it because a lot of people don't realize what an effect estrogen has on our female brains. That may have an effect on men's brains too, but I don't know anything about that. Um, even when we're adolescents, little boys are diagnosed with ADHD more earlier at a younger age than girls are. Girls tend to be diagnosed more, more frequently at adolescence, which is when our hormones start jumping up and down and eventually settle into that monthly pattern. What's true is that estrogen kind of helps those neurotransmitters. And I won't go into all the, the technical stuff about that, but trust me when I say when the neurotransmitters are jumping the synapse, that little, ju- little space between neurons, if they're jumping that space better and more effectively, then we can think better, especially in the prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of our brain right behind our forehead. So when estrogen's there, it acts like on a, kind of a, a baseball mitt with you know, sticky pine tar in it saying, come to mama, and that neurotransmitter makes good connections. When estrogen decreases, as it does during every period, every menstrual cycle, right before bleeding starts, the estrogen's gone, and ADHD symptoms go through the roof. So if you have a teenage daughter, or if you are still having periods, don't do anything, don't plan anything that's really got high brain 
needs brain power right before your period starts because your estrogen is not on board. Some psychiatrists even suggest that medication needs to be altered just before the period, just during that during the week of your period. A few days later, you're back on on board again. The other interesting thing is that when you have when you're pregnant, estrogen is very very high during the whole pregnancy. So a lot of folks with ADHD, a lot of women with ADHD, are worried that they can't take their medication, but they really don't need their medication until probably the last six to eight weeks of their pregnancy. And of course, during nursing, the estrogen is being suppressed during nursing. At menopause, we're kind of going through the adolescent phase again, except the estrogen swings are very wide. You'll have huge amounts of estrogen to feel on top of the world. You'll be able to focus. Everything's very clear, and then it'll drop way, way down. And eventually, instead of getting into a regular cycle, eventually estrogen drops down to a level that's almost unmeasurable. We never completely run out of estrogen, but in terms of our brains, we actually are, uh, the ADHD brain, as well as any, in every woman's brain, is suffering a little bit because of the lack of estrogen. And one of the ways that, um, as, as I mentioned, my, my psychiatrist said, go get some estrogen. And I said, well, then why don't you just give me some? And he said, no, no, you have to go to an OBJYN. Well, unfortunately, that was right at the critical time where the Women's Health Initiative had come out, and there, was hor- there were horror stories about it causing cancer and you know, increase in cardiac events and so forth and so on. And it took, her, it took my, psychiatrist, my psychiatrist a year to convince me that what we now know to be true is that a lot of that study was flawed, and I did go on estrogen-only replacement, and that's important to note because if you throw progesterone in there as well, you... Um, progesterone can cause a more foggy brain. So for women with, with um, certainly when without a uterus, it's not a problem. But if you have a uterus and you're doing only estrogen replacement, you need to have an ultrasound once a year to make sure that you don't have any problems with that. But I've got to tell you that I, I was myself again in two days after I put that patch on. I, it was amazing. I didn't want to take pills because I didn't want it to process through my liver. And I'm, I've I'm, a, I'm kind of a walking, talking science experiment. I'm not recommending this. Keep in mind, I am not a doctor. This is entirely my experience. Yours will be entirely different, but you need to talk to your doctor about it if, you, if that's a possibility for you. Linda, it's interesting. Um, you're talking about age and you're talking about menopause, and you were diagnosed actually somewhere in your 40s. So um, it's unusual, I would think. Maybe it's not for uh women and for adults to be diagnosed uh, at a later age. Is, is that accurate or no? Well, it's becoming more, more prevalent. And remember that perimenopause, the, the period before when your estrogen starts making all these swings, your, your hormones get a little crazy there, can start 10 years before the actual cessation of menses. And menopause is one of the big reasons that women are being diagnosed because they run to the doctor and say, I think I'm losing my mind, and they say, no, 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 it's just ADD, or they think they're depressed. Or, and, and I just need to take just a quick little breath here and say that ADHD diagnosis is a little bit tricky for ADHD women, uh, for all women, because a lot of doctors um, think they know about ADHD, and they do know about it in children, but because it presents so differently in adults, they may not recognize it and may misdiagnose it. A good psychiatrist friend of mine says that doctors diagnose what they know, and what they know is depression, especially in women. So don't be afraid to try more than one doctor if you are convinced that you have ADHD and the doctor disagrees. I've heard, I've heard stories about women being diagnosed, yes, with one person and no with someone else. So just 
take that into consideration. Um, now I forgot the question. See my ADD. Just it's, okay. What was the question? It's, it's okay because we're 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 going to talk about disorganization. So don't worry about it. That's even better. Right. So so the thing that I find we were talking about this uh, offline is that you know that seems to me to create the most problems for um, adults or kids with ADD or ADHD with other people is that they can't seem to get organized. And I find people get very impatient with that and will say things like, what is your problem? You know, just just get organized. Find a system and get organized. You know, what is your issue? You know, and they blame them and they get upset with them. Uh, if it were only so easy. I, I cannot tell you the number of organization <laughs> systems that I have been through. I actually love organizing. I just can't maintain the organization. And that's true of many women and anybody with ADHD at any, at any age. Um, I will tell you that um, one of the things that I see most with myself and with my clients are that we have piles. And the piles are in the open because a lot of folks with ADHD need it to be seen, need to see it. They, they're really visual, and we, if, it's, if it's in a drawer, it's disappeared from completely from our sight. So that, those little piles are kind of visual reminders. They're like cues for us. The problem is that the piles get deeper and deeper and deeper, but don't touch my piles because I know they're in there. <laughs> I know something's in there. So the <laughs> worst thing you can do is, is mess up my piles and try to help me be organized. As a matter of fact, one of the best things that I've ever heard to help with disorganization is, well, number one, professional organizers are a godsend to anyone with ADHD. They can be a little pricey. They can be a little expensive. You can trade that out if you're willing to do that. Um, but one of the things that really helps is simply having what they call a body double. I, didn't, I used to get my office was just a mess, and I, I was always reorganizing it, constantly reorganizing it. And I would get all the stuff in the middle of the floor, and then I would panic. Oh, my gosh, i got to get this all put away by in the morning. I would invite my husband to come over. He began to be this began to be a routine, a fairly regular routine. He would bring dinner. I did not want him to talk to me. I did not want him to help. I just needed him to be in the room so that I didn't feel like I was drowning in this mess by myself. And sure enough, I could get that stuff done when I had a body double who was A, non-judgmental, and B, not trying to help, and C, not making a lot of noise that would be a distraction. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. We've been talking to Linda Rogley. We're going to team this, right? Who is the author of Confessions of an ADD Diva. Diva. All right. See, eventually we have success. So on caught between generations. Linda, you've been a great guest. Give us your contact information. Um, you have a blog. Just Tell us how oh, to get yeah, in touch. Absolutely. Um, you can reach me at ADDIVA. It's ADDIVA.net. So it's like the ADDIVA network. And I, of course, I have a blog post. I have blogs there. I'm on Twitter at ADDIVA. That's two Ds, ADDIVA. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me a lot of places. If you just Google ADDIVA, you're going to get me, or ADDIVA and ADHD women. So, And you can always email me at Linda at ADDIVA.net. That's great. Linda, thank you so much. You've been such a great guest. And we've learned a lot from you that I think a lot of people will find very, very helpful. So once again, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It has been a pleasure, a delight, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, This is Dr. Merrill and Deanna Albrecht. So my takeaway for today is for you to trust yourself. So many times, especially 
women, sometimes men, we just don't trust our own instinct. And I think we heard that today from our first guest, Susan Senator, and certainly from Linda, that they needed to trust themselves and trust their gut, trust their own instinct. And in that way, they were able to get help for themselves or help for members of their family who really needed it. Um, If we just let friends, we let family who mean well, I know they mean well, but they just undermine our confidence in ourselves. Um, And they convince us that, oh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. It'll go away. Don't worry about it. And in our gut, we're feeling this is not right. We need to be doing something different. So my takeaway for you today and what I want you to start doing for yourself, you're just one thing, is I want you to trust yourself. You know what you're doing. You're responsible. Believe me. You know better than anyone else what is best for yourself and for other members of your family. Take good care of yourself and trust yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.